Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about my sponsor, the Association of Commercial Professionals in the Life Sciences. I went to the genome meeting in San Diego last month, and I walked around to the folks manning the booths in the exhibit hall, and I asked them, if you were going to attend a meeting of marketing and salespeople in our industry, what would make it a must-attend event for you? And First of all, some folks were stunned that such a meeting even could exist, and I also got some interesting answers. For example, how do I drive revenue from marketing? How do I motivate both the high and low performers on my sales team? What are the considerations for U.S. companies regarding Latin America as part of their strategy? And what are the realities of doing business there? Where do our customers, the researchers, think their fields are going? How do I set pricing? And one person was simply excited for the chance to talk to other people in a position similar to hers. So there are many good reasons to join the ACPLS or at least get on the mailing list. The annual meeting in the fall will cover topics like the ones I just mentioned. And next month, ACPLS will release a salary report specifically for sales and marketing pros in the life science industry. So visit acp-ls.org and join or subscribe today. Now let's get back to the podcast. I'm really excited today to have a very special guest. Karen Cushman is the CEO and brand strategist of Cushman Creative, and that is a marketing agency focused on growing bioscience and other quality of life brands through integrated solutions that drive engagement, garner support, and build brand leadership. Karen, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thanks, Chris. I really appreciate you having me on today. Well, I'm looking forward to this. I think it's going to be interesting because it's uh, certainly something that I don't think about as all the time. Um, so I'm interested um, because you do something a little bit different. You develop brands for startups, and you do that a lot of based on research, but we're talking in many cases about organizations that don't yet have a product. Mm -hmm. So why is it important for them to establish their brand? Sure. Um, well, I think for those companies that, you know, in some ways it's even more important um, because, you know, we are talking about organizations that aren't established pharma brands. Um, that you know are maybe bringing their first product to market or trying to even just trying to get to trials um you know established pharmas have an advantage of the equity in, in an existing brand that track record and certainly experienced marketers and communicators um and funding <laughs> which is helpful um so with startups um a lot of times we find that um the leaders of those organizations are scientists first and communicators second. And one of the best things that the formalization of a brand can do for them is to create that narrative that is essential when they hit 
hit the market um, in seeking funding, that if they're not able to talk about what it is that they have in a concise and compelling way, it's going to be really hard for them um, to pursue any sort of business strategy. Um, And I think, you know, with this, what a brand does um, for any organization is to build legitimacy and trust. That's the first and foremost thing. And I think for many, you know, when you talk about building a brand, <clears throat> it's something that's visual first, like a logo. You know, I need I need a logo and I need business cards. I need to get going. But there's there's so much more that comes before that that is essential to building that successful visual identity. Um, and again, just you know, it's back to that that narrative. Um, and I know you're really familiar with that. Things like messaging platforms um, and such. But for um, individuals that um, maybe don't think of this as their strong suit, you know, they spent more time in the lab. Um, this is a really important part of building that foundation is, is really solidifying what it is that they have in, in narrative terms first. So in this case, we're talking about trying to extract what they believe the value proposition is for whatever it is they're creating. So you mentioned pharma, maybe they've, they're developing a new drug or a device. Um, Mm -hmm. but they must have some idea of how this is going to be better than what exists. Exactly. I mean, it it comes back to answering this simple question is, you know, why should somebody fund their product? If it is a product eventually, why should somebody fund fund their research? Why does it matter? And they have to be able to answer that first um, in order to create a brand that builds legitimacy and trust, um, and especially for them because they don't have that track record behind them often. So it forces scientists to really answer those questions and and in terms that matter to their audience. So, you know, another first critical step here is is for them is really thinking about who that audience is, um, which can be a variety of of people. Um, So personas, persona development is a really important part of building that um, brand strategy and communications plan. Sorry, I don't want to jump ahead, but I know that that was one thing that we were going to talk about a little bit, too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just forcing them to, to think strategically about communication, that building a brand isn't just about that business card or that um, investor slide presentation. You know, those are the obvious things it is creating that slide presentation that is going to um, help them formulate their pitch. You know, th- those are tangible things. And so what I'm trying to say here with with startups is it's so important to really um, solidify what that narrative is before you ever start thinking about slides. Okay, <laughs> let's let's talk about what I think is maybe the most obvious customer class for a startup, and those are investors, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, their primary concern is that they're going to spend money, they're going to invest money, and they want to return on that. Is there more to the messaging? To what degree do they want to be part of something bigger? Like. Is how how important is that, and how do you balance those two? Like we're going to make money on this thing, but also you're going to contribute to something that changes how some aspect of healthcare is done. Sure, yeah. I mean, I and I think that's that's the beauty here in a way is that we are talking about human health, and we're humans, so that's a big concern for us. Um, so I, I think it is important to people, um, and 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 you're right. There's um, we are talking about investors who first in this situation are concerned with return on investment in a monetary way. Um, and so there has to be real proof. And often for startups, you know, proof is a broad term. 
um, you know, they have to really create belief in what it is that they're, um, what they have. And for those people that are seeking that monetary investment. Um, and so, so there's that, but I think that, you know, people really are starting to see that, um, stepping away from the idea of finding cures, those investors that are, that are already entrenched in the biotech world understand that it's about developing new therapies often that, that maybe someday do lead to a cure, but it's about extending healthy lifespan too, which is a little bit different than how we typically think about funding breast cancer research. We're always focused on a cure, um, but those people that have, have the background realize that all of these little individual therapies that are coming to market have an enormous value in extending somebody's life um, while we look for a cure. Um, so, um, sorry, I'm pausing here, here for a second. Um, not sure if I'm answering your question no, that, exactly. That is, an, <laughs> that is a good answer. And actually, it wasn't, you know, I, I think of a cure naturally, but you are right to point out that there's a difference between a cure and a treatment, but they both matter. And what struck me as we talk about that is when you're marketing anything, there's the logical side. You know, what do I get out of right. it? In this case, it's the return on investment. And then there's the emotional side, which is contributing to something bigger, which is often overlooked and so mm. I'm just curious to to what degree you sense that investors are attracted by a message that says I'm going to be a part of finding you know a treatment or a cure for something um, but I'm going to that at least gets their attention and now I'm going to put my money where I think it will um, to, toward one of those startups that's going to do that and pay me back some return. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So um, since you mentioned other audiences, what do you typically think about? What, besides the investors, if, if, if I've got a startup, who else am I looking at communicating with? So you might be thinking about other scientific partners to help move your research forward. Um, if you are... We, you mentioned earlier that you know we work with um, nonprofit biomedical groups, which is you know where a lot of this basic research is being done. Um, you know they're at the beginning of of the pipeline, so to speak, in um, creating these therapies. Um, and um, oh, sorry, I just had something pop up here. Um, can you can you rephrase that question again? Yeah, so uh, you, we talked about investors, but we were starting to talk about. What oh, other yeah, audiences, audiences and yeah, right. Okay, sorry. So, um, so yeah. So they might be thinking about um, scientific partners. So, um, when you think about a nonprofit biomedical research group, you know they're doing specific research at their institution. They may not have the capacity or the scientific researchers to do the next phase of their work that needs to be done. So they'll contract with another facility to do that, and so. Um, so that's, you know, they're, they're forming a different type of partnership in that way. Um, but it is all about moving their research forward. So, um, so you can, you could consider them investors to a degree because, you know, they want to move, they believe in the work that they're doing, um, and also want to move it forward. So, um, so really, you know, it's, it's not as streamlined as someone might think getting one therapy to market. Um, it often involves a variety of, of partners, um, so to speak. Um, it's, it's a long, a long road. It's a yeah. long road to get to market. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, you know, different different phases different phases of clinical trials too. So, 
Um, So, yeah, you might be talking about VC, you know, venture capital um, groups. You might be talking about, um, for example, in January, there's always the big JP Morgan conference. Um, When you think about, you know, investors, there's a lot of different people or personas that could really fit into that um, audience type. And so investors might also be donors um, that are are doing this just out of the goodness of their heart. They have an interest in it. You know, maybe they are more on the side of, yes, I do want to advance human health for the the greater goodness of the world. Um, So you have that, you know, that quote unquote investor. And then you have on the other side of that, people that might be attending something like the JP Morgan conference where, you know, they're doing it every year. It's really based on a monetary uh, return on investment. and so that's a completely different mindset. And so I think it's really important for um, these startups to think about where they are. They're probably not there yet at, at something like JP Morgan, but they are going to be meeting with people who have those same expectations that may have a scientific background, um, um, who understand the process, understand the difficulties more so. And so it's really going to be important that they understand that persona. And so um, you know, a big portion of us building a brand for someone is that is creating those, um, you know, creating a, an image of what they are that, you know, beyond the basic demographics of, of age and, and regions and, and cultural differences, um, but really thinking about what is their knowledge base. Um, and those are great to create because sure, you can always update them. But as you're thinking about the content that you're creating, that that investor um, slide pitch, you're thinking about that person. You're going back to that persona and looking at all of their biases um, and how they might be skeptical about what you're saying. Um, And it's really important to constantly do that, to constantly improve your your pitch based on who it is that you're communicating to and trying to persuade. Fantastic. Because it's all about belief. You know, it, it is. It's all about belief. It sounds, when you use words like inspiration and belief, you know, it sounds too um, intangible or not realistic for this type of audience. But it's like you said earlier, and I'm glad you brought that up. There's still that emotional component. Um, and, and that's really important to connect um, with those people who may be more on the monetary on the monetary side in an emotional way. Yeah, and it that's the rea- the belief is the reality of the situation. You have a product that needs to be tested, needs to be proven, but somebody has to make it happen. There's a risk mm-hmm. on one side and there's huge reward on the other. Mm-hmm. That that's mm-hmm. what you um you have to balance out and and get people to believe that 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 yours is the one. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. Tell me, let's talk about messaging platforms. Mm. How does mm-hmm. that fit in with what with branding and what you do? I think messaging platforms really drive branding. Um, you know, for us, it's it's a simple uh, one sheet. You know, it may be part of a longer brand strategy, but really, it should exist on one piece of paper, and it is that value proposition combined with those core proof points um, that explain why the business deserves you know that investment. Um, in a really concise way and and sure they may not use every single proof point each time but it should be so simple that everyone that's on this team understands what those are and can pull from those in any conversation Um, whether it is a conversation or um, something tangible like a one-sheet case statement which is another thing that we like to see startups do 
Um, so really it serves as, as a foundational um, part of their communications plan, if you will. So I have two questions. Um, the first is, and I'm just going to make a note so I don't forget. Um, the first one is, um, I'm guessing that the proof points, you might have um, a selection based on the persona you'd be talking to. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And then tell me more about this um, case statement. So a case statement. Because um, I honestly, I've never no. heard of that. You haven't. Okay. In the traditional sense, a case statement is often used um, for a capital campaign, um, which is, you know, a a funding situation um, in a different way. Um, And what a case statement does is it's typically a leave behind um, that would be used to make a case for whatever it is that the organization is trying to raise money for. So if you were to think about, uh, let's choose a hospital since we're talking about healthcare today, but so a hospital wants to create a new building, this case statement would be um, a piece that um, someone on a development team could leave behind after they've made their um, in-person pitch to a potential donor. And as they had time later to review and consider their donation, this would be the piece that would be the payoff for them. It would probably answer any questions that that development person might not have been able to answer and certainly be that um, piece that does pull at the emotions um, and really creates belief in that potential donation. Okay. So creating some vision of what the new building mm -hmm. for a hospital will provide to the community or capabilities that they didn't have. Is that right? Right. Yeah, and for for a biotech startup, you know, it's something it's something that supports that pitch that they're making, that slide presentation that they're making. It's it's a leave behind, right? So, but it is it, it's a it's a summary. Okay. All right, let's. I want to go on to more branding things now. So, um, we're talking about um, organizations that don't have, don't yet necessarily have customers in the traditional sense that you can talk to. Um, how, what are the elements of a brand different for that? And how do you establish identity for a company that doesn't yet have customers? How do it, it, so I'm, I'm imagining, but I know it's not true that you pull this out of thin air, but I'm, I'm just curious about this process of how you create an identity for an organization that is not yet known. Well, so, so we've touched upon this a little bit because I think when you talk about customers here, we're talking about investors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, this is way before you have a product that you're going to put into someone's hand and, and, um, and they buy and they see it and they touch it. This is different. Um, but I think that they do exist and that, you know, that is in a way the beauty here of what we've talked about is technically Anybody can be an, an investor, a believer. Um, it, it's broad, that audience base that we talked about, from purely being just someone who wants to donate to it to somebody who's an investor looking for a monetary return. Um, and so personas, um, you know, we try to create that that um, that customer, if you will, through the development of personas. Um, and so the process is really just the same. Um but I think 
for biotech startups who haven't done this before, it's certainly a harder process. Um, but I think that the, that the process for getting there and developing those personas is the same. Um, creating a page for each one and you really get to know them and you practice it as you're, um, you practice getting to know them as you practice your pitch, you're thinking about them. And so in a way you are establishing that, that true identity, so to speak, that you're not able to just go out and meet. I mean, you will, right, right. <laughs> but you haven't, but you haven't yet done that. So there is some, you know, guesstimization that you're going to do. And I think as you get out there and you do it more then you know who they are, um, so, and, and I think, too, it's important to clarify that there's a range of people that we're talking about here, too. And we're talking about biotech startups um, who have never done this before. Sure. <laughs> to some who may have several therapies out there, but have they gotten something all the way to market yet? Maybe not. Um, so, it, it, you know, this is still a broad range of people um, that we're talking to, I think, or talking about. Okay. Okay. Um, no, that uh, that makes perfect sense to me. And, um, you know, you bring it back to personas, which is something I understand really well. And I encourage people to really understand their personas and talk to them, talk about them with each other as if they were real people so that you, you really mm-hmm. start to think that about creating content that you know is, is going to resonate with this exact person. So I love that. Um, mm-hmm. Karen, I know you do some work with nonprofit research organizations. So tell me, is it different for a nonprofit organization that's looking for donors than a startup that's looking for investors? Or is it pretty much that same process? Um, you know, I, I certainly I think I think it is different um, because when it comes to nonprofit research, often it is more about making gifts for the greater good and being a part of something bigger. Um, and I think on this side, often they are talking more with people who don't have that scientific background. Um, they may have an interest in it, um, but still, we're also talking, and, and in that sense, too, you're talking about somebody who might donate $25 a year or somebody that might donate a million. <laughs> right. So, you know, there's different scales there that that person that's donating $25 is doing it out of the goodness of their heart and hoping that, you know, it does do something. Um, and on the other side is there is a little bit more of that return on investment and a little bit more of the proof that that donor is looking for, um, that your business is legitimate. Um, but I do think that most often on the nonprofit side, people are doing it more um, because they believe in the value of biomedical research and they may even understand and have knowledge that the federal funding for that um, has really decreased most recently and has become more reliant on private funding um, and that they play a critical role in that process. Got it. <clears throat> yeah, that makes, that so makes their business sense. People, yeah, and I just wanted to say, you know, they're business people too, so they want that proof or that, that track record or a certain probability, I think. Sure. Um, yeah, you, of course you don't want to be making gifts to if you don't think it's going to go anywhere useful and, and there's definitely an element of trust, whether you're donating 25 or a million, probably a lot right. more if it's and, a million. And I think, <laughs> yeah. I think that 
organizations within within that realm face the same thing that we've been talking about earlier with biotech startups. Is if, if you're a if you're a research organization that doesn't have a big big backing or a big name, um, you know you're going to have to work a little harder to prove that that you do have that track record or that you do have uh, that you do have something. Um, and I think in our state, Maine. Um, you know, it's a it's a different and often difficult business climate here, but this is a growing area for us, biotech research. Um, mm-hmm. And it, we're a little bit more off the grid, so those organizations that are here have to work a little bit harder. Um, and um, fortunately, in in some ways, our our population is getting older, and and most of that. Um, most of those personas, if you will, um, have a greater awareness of that need, which is it's kind of nice to see. Um, but you know, we, we have a long road ahead um, as far as becoming a, a biotech center like Cambridge or um, what you have out in California. But but it's nice to see that that urban sprawl, so to speak, getting out of Cambridge and coming into a state like Maine that really needs to grow um, economically and in some of these technology environments where um, industry really is seeing growth. Sure, and that's an in- a really interesting point that you made. That you know, you're off the grid, but the population of Maine it may be such that they have a an understanding and a desire for two reasons. One, the elderly population understands the importance of funding new therapies and the economic value to the community, which is going to grow around whatever startup they're giving to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we're really trying to, I know the state is really working hard on um, trying to educate people here, getting people to be able to have um, jobs here and not have to leave and then come back. Um, and, you know, this is one industry that we're really focusing on um, is is biotech and biomedical research and growing um, that infrastructure here in the state so we can keep students here. Um I don't think I said this before, but we are the we have the oldest population in the country. <laughs> wow. Okay. I did not mm-hmm. know that. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I just love time. that example because it makes you think about um, any organization. Sometimes the things that, that aren't obvious right off the bat can be important ways to communicate. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. Good point. So I'm going to wrap this up with the money question, literally. So I'm a startup. Imagine I'm a startup. How do I know how much I should invest in an identity? Because I'm essentially spending money in the hope of making further funding easier. So I'm trying to spend some money so that I can attract some more money and then maybe get a better identity. How does that work? And and how do you guide somebody on that? So how little can I spend? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> sure, like how good can it be? How good can you make it? So that's what I, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're definitely sensitive to that. And um, I think it's important to realize for startups, there's a lot of other big concerns and and fees out there. You know, le- legal fees in and of themselves are significant. Um, they may be going out for, you know, additional grant money wherever they are. And and so, you know, we've been involved in helping um, some organizations do just that, going after their very, very, very first funding, um, which is exciting. Um, and so, yeah, you've got to take what we talked about in the beginning that seems um, 
complicated, you know, this communication strategy, the brand strategy, the messaging platform, and all these pieces, and do it really efficiently and um, and um, formulate it into an identity so they can hit the ground running with, with business cards and those tangible things that they need. So, you know, I mean, as far as a, a price tag, um, I think that they need to be prepared um, to spend around $10,000 to do this, to do it well. Um, I mean, we've certainly done it for less, but... Um, and that's just really bare bones, but um, but I think that this is something like we talked about earlier that you build upon. You may not know exactly what your personas are to start, and those are something that you build and cultivate over um, over time. But to get going, um, you still need some of those um, core components. Um, and I think another thing to, to point out here that is really important is helping these scientists become. Uh, first and foremost, really, really strong communicators um, that they're able to get up and talk about the work that they do in a in a persuasive way, um, and really feel confident about that. That's really key. So that's another component, um, you know, sort of different than this, but um, something that we think is really important. And we've seen companies getting coaching on that. So I would I would encourage companies to think about that as part of this startup um, funding. Um, oh, that's brilliant. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that costs money too, but it's, um, it should pay off well in the long run. And, um, you need to have the people who are doing the science be able to communicate what they're doing as a very mm -hmm. foundation of the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you just have to keep things in perspective because yes, you need this, the solid, um, brand strategy, if you will, that includes that um, messaging platform. You need business cards. You need a, you know, a website. But do you need to have video yet and, you know, all of these other things that you can add to that do get costly? No, you don't. But first and foremost is the ability to communicate that you've got something and doing it in a believable way. That's the most important thing. Fantastic. Well, Karen, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I learned a lot. I know the people listening are going to learn a lot. Um, where can people find out more about you and Cushman Creative? Super simple. Just CushmanCreative.com. Um, there you'll find our blog, Kelpbeds, which has been around since 2010 um, and specifically speaks to the audiences that we've been talking about here today um, and extends into the life sciences as well. So um, we've been pretty devoted to this group and have a strong belief ourselves in, in investing in human health. And um, I'm a cancer survivor, so it's become really important to me. Um, but I've been in this industry for close to 20 years and, um, and it's really important um, that um, I think others like yourself um, I look at you as someone who's giving back to the industry as well. And, and I think that's a really important thing to do um, because it's not about finding cures. It's about finding those little steps along the way that do get us there. And appreciate you having me on today, Chris, because um, the more we're talking about stuff like this, um, the more it's going to help the people out there who are really doing the science and getting therapies to market. Well, Juan, thank you. It was my pleasure to have you on board. This is fantastic. I'll put a link to Cushman Creative in the show notes, make it easy for people to find. And um, thank you once again for a great podcast. Sure thing. Well, that was really, really good advice from Karen, wasn't it? I, I really like how she talked about the importance of the narrative 
as an element of your branding. And honestly, I wish we dug into that a little bit a little bit more, but it's so important to have a story about what you're doing, why it matters, and, and so on, when you don't have anything else to um, build legitimacy and trust with your audience. So uh, I love that. So if you're starting a, a new startup or you're thinking about refreshing your message and your branding, you should probably get in touch with Karen. Uh, and then I'll just say that I think in an upcoming podcast, we're going to talk to somebody about specifically that pitch. So how do you put that into place when you're talking to investors and what are they looking for when you're making that presentation? So um, great episode today. I want to ask you one favor. If you are enjoying this podcast, first of all, you ought to be subscribed. I hope you've done that. But what I really want to ask you is if um, if you're enjoying it, tell two friends. Find two people that will get value out of listening to the types of people I'm interviewing on this podcast and get them to listen, get them to subscribe. The bigger the audience, the more people we can attract to speak and uh, the better it is for everyone. And with that, I will wrap the show and I will talk to you in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening.